You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast with Brian Weber. It's a talk show. We talk. And former Pro Bowl Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart. Hey, get your popcorn ready. NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn, your everything audio app. Hello and welcome to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. And thanks for listening. I'm Brian Weber alongside Cordell Stewart. On today's podcast, we'll go round the league with Elliot Harrison of NFL Network, break down the Houston Texans with Aaron Wilson of the Houston Chronicle, plus Vince Wilfork announces his retirement in style. Brian, we're going to get today's podcast kicked off as former NFL quarterback Sage Rosenfels joins us. Sage, we appreciate the time. Let's start in Houston since you played for the Texans. How do you see their quarterback situation? The team traded up to draft Deshaun Watson in the first round coming out of Clemson. How long do you think it's going to take him to emerge as the starter? Well, I think a couple of things. One, you, you always prefer to have your, your rookie sit as long as possible. I, I've really studied this thing, and that's, a, that's a, always a regular topic of conversation amongst ro- rookies. You know, do you play him right away or do you sit him? And, and I truly believe it's best if they can sit right away for you know, probably 80% of, of the rookie quarterbacks. You know, that being said, there are guys that go out there and have a ton of success, and guys like Dak Prescott last year who played unbelievably as a rookie. So, you know, Deshaun Watson, I really felt amongst those higher draft picks, he's a guy that, you know, the NFL experience and, and playing the NFL, you know, position of quarterback uh, would not be too much for him and that he would be, you know, prepared to play uh, the position and play as a rookie uh, if he was good enough to. And you, know, you just you just don't know and, until you see, uh, see these kids out in training camp, see them in these preseason games uh, and see how they – uh, can rise to the moment and rise to a level of play that's needed to be an NFL quarterback. Sage, when you when you think of uh, the Houston Texans, uh, they've been known for the quarter at the quarterback position to have a a complex system for them. Uh, Bill O'Brien, he he seemed like he's a stickler of trying to figure out uh, over the years which quarterback can be the one to lead his football team. Give me the story behind what you're hearing that it's a complex o- offense uh, when it comes down to the quarterback, but. You've seen, what, maybe eight to nine quarterbacks playing the system since, what, since he first got there, what, three years ago? Is it really that hard? Yeah, well, I, I think there are certain offenses that are hard, you know, for different reasons. And, and I, I had the most success of my career when I was in, a, you know, different versions of the, of the West Coast offense. And, and in that system, a quarterback really sort of goes through their reads, uh, you know, they go through their footwork. The, the offensive line really deals with a lot of the protection issues and protection calls and, and calling out the front and all those types of things. Not a lot of audibling that they feel in the West Coast offense. There's answers within, you know, the pass pattern. You know, single high, we're going to work the one-on-one matchup. They go two high coverage, and we're going to work inside uh, to the tight end. They really break down the system for you well. There's other systems that are more complicated. Uh, when I went from uh, the West Coast offense in Minnesota with Daryl Bevel uh, up to the New York Giants and Kevin Gilbride, that was more of a, a mix of a run-and-shoot system and, and the system that the New England Patriots slash uh, you know, Bill O'Brien run, uh, what they run down in Houston now. And that is much more complex, uh, much more uh, quarterback-demanding. Uh, 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 you have to make all these line calls, a lot of audibling, a uh, lot of uh, you know, sort of making everything happen. Everything goes to the quarterback in that system. And uh, it, it can be very hard either for young guys uh, to excel in it or just for even veteran quarterbacks who haven't been in something uh, which is really demanding of the quarterback run the entire thing. Add to it, uh, and, and, and this is something that I, that I firmly believe that, you know, sometimes the reason that 
you know, Josh McDaniels and Bill O'Brien, they haven't had a ton of success when they've left the New England Patriots, at least as offensive coordinators, is because when in that Patriots team, that team has been together for a long, long time. Uh, Tom Brady has been in that system forever. He knows it inside and out. Uh, everything runs much easier. The, the, the menu is much, much bigger. I think a lot of times they take that same menu to these other football teams, to the Houston Texans in, the, in this example, and quarterbacks struggle because there's so much information. Uh, but but as, as an offensive coordinator, as a head coach, you want the best plays and the best system possible, and that's what Tom Brady is running. And I think a lot of other quarterbacks just struggle to – to, to rise up to the advancement of that level of football. Taking you around the league with Sage Rosenfeld. Sage, you played in Miami. How seamless do you think the transition is going to be for Jay Cutler coming out of his brief retirement, considering he played well for Adam Gase in Chicago? And does it matter if Jay is not in great shape now? Yeah, well, I was in uh, you know Minnesota when Brett Favre showed up in 2009, and he was retired too. And that you know, his basically missing you know the entire training camp, other than probably about the last two weeks or so. Uh, had no effect on his play. He played unbelievable that year. I think he threw 35 touchdowns and seven picks. So, uh, you know, you know, is Jay Cutler, Brett Favre? No, he's not. But uh, did he need this entire offseason? You know, probably not as much as a lot of other quarterbacks. I mean, he's a veteran. He's, he's 35 years old. Uh, he does have plenty left in the tank. You know, his physical abilities is not has not been his issue. Uh, I think this is really, you know, a, a, a lightning in a bottle, a lot of luck happened here for the Miami Dolphins, the fact that they got a veteran quarterback who has played really well in Adam Gase's system uh, to be available for no compensation. Uh, you know, 35 years old, this isn't some you know, 42-year-old guy way past his prime. So uh, this could actually work. Uh, Mike Tannenbaum and Adam Gase may have gotten very, very lucky, uh, and all is based off of that, that the relationship that Jake Cutler and Adam Gase have. You could tell Two years ago, 2015, Jake Cutler was a different quarterback. He played well, didn't put up huge numbers, but played well, protected the football better. But really, what you could see is the difference in his attitude. I really felt uh, he was a different sort of man in press conferences you know, during games. He didn't have that uh, sort of uh, you know, unlucky uh, – he, uh, he had this sort of unlucky feeling that we all know that we've seen this Jake Cutler sort of look in his eye uh, in games that people don't like. Uh, I don't think we saw that in 2015. I thought we saw, saw a guy who loved the game of football, who was excited to play. And he was excited to play because he loved his offensive coordinator, Adam Gase. Because of that, I, I, I assume that they gave him the, the one-year $10 million uh, because he knows the system so well, Sage. And, and anytime you know a system really well, coming from somewhere else, uh, the natural tendency is to pay him as if he's been there for some time. And uh, same thing happened with Ryan uh, Fitzpatrick with Chan Gailey being in Buffalo to now coming back with, with him in the Jets in the time in which he did. It's easy to make that transition. Now, saying that, does that automatically mean that this team actually makes it to the playoff again and maybe have a chance to make a run again to at least the AFC Championship game? Because the talent on the defense is phenomenal. Offensively, there's a ton of talent. The quarterback, I think, has been the question mark. The talent on the defense is very good, but they were ranked very low last year. I like to go back to the stats. I, I thought it was somewhere in the 20s or even mid-20s uh, in total defense last year. So there's a lot of talent on that side of the ball, but offensive teams are very productive uh, against them. And you're right, offensively, they do have some weapons. They've got three or four good wide receivers. they got a tight end who can make some plays and can be a matchup issue for defenses. And, and I love their running back uh, who put up some really big numbers last year. You know, Ryan Tannehill – he, you know, Kyle, or, uh, Adam Gase, I should say, sort of reminds me of Kyle Shanahan. A lot of quarterbacks play well for those guys. They, they have quarterback-friendly systems. And Ryan Tannehill played the best football of his career uh, in 2016. 
and he put up really good numbers as well. So uh, I said, this is a, this, this is a, I, I think he got paid not only because he knows the system, but Jay Cutler's made so much money. What's the point in going out there and, and getting beat up for, you know, $2 million if you've got 70 in the bank already, right? So I think actually uh, the money definitely had something to do with the fact that he knows the offense, well, he can come in and start right away. But I think on the other end, it was it was ha- having to make it worth it for Jay Cutler uh, to come out of just being a family man, hanging out with his kids, which is which is a pretty good deal too. Sage Rosenfels is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Sage, you started your career in our nation's capital, so let's talk Redskins. What's your perspective on Kirk Cousins? He's making huge money with the franchise tender again. Do you view him as a premier quarterback? Uh, well, the, the premier quarterback and salary don't always go hand in hand. And the reason he's making so much money uh, is because, you know, he didn't play a lot in those first three seasons uh, and then played a lot there, you know, right at the end. And, and you know, the, the Redskins uh, had to do something. Uh, if he would have played really well in those first two or three seasons, I, I have a feeling, you know, with that four-year rookie contract he had, uh, the team would have liked to try to uh, do an extension at that time and it would have gotten done. He would have gotten maybe 18 or $20 million a year. Uh, but since he played in his fourth year and played so well, uh, and it was a one, sort of a one-year wonder type of thing, the team had no choice. Uh, they weren't sure if they had the guy because it was a one-year thing. Uh, so they had to do the franchise tag, got that fifth year. Uh, then he did it again, and, and you know they're trying to do a long-term deal. But it seems like Cousins would rather get out of there. And, and someone that played for that organization, uh, you know, no offense, but a lot of players – uh, you know, don't love playing, uh, you know, for that owner and in that organization that uh, they have their ups and downs and that's for sure. And, uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if Kirk Cousins wants to, you know, go one year, Brian Hoyer's out there basically on a one-year contract uh, and go out there to, to San Francisco and, and be the starter out there and, and, and be with the coach uh, that really made his NFL career drafted him uh, and where he had uh, his, his, you know, some of his best years and, and really became a big time NFL quarterback. Sage, when you see quarterbacks not having the opportunity uh, to condition their arms during the offseason, Andrew Luck, Cam Newton, uh, two of the premier quarterbacks in the game today, how do you see their season actually going? Considering, you know, Cam has gotten some throws in. Andrew, it sounds like it's as if he hadn't gotten any throws in at all. Excuse me. Do you think it's going to affect their, their play this year? I, yeah, I think it definitely has a factor or else we wouldn't do all this offseason stuff. I, as I said, I, you know, I played with Favre in 2009, and for him to show up and do what he did, it was the most incredible thing I ever saw uh, you know, during a football season over the course of my college and pro career. So that doesn't happen very often. Uh, but, but in this situation, both those guys, I mean, that's why you do all the offseason, the OTAs and the mini camps and the, you know, the, the private throwing sessions. It's to get that timing down. And, and as, as you know, Cordell, the, the difference between a completion and interception sometimes can be six inches or a foot. And all yep. that offseason work uh, really translates into the season. So, you know, could they have really good years? Yeah, they're both really talented guys. They're both not rookies. They, they've been around the block a little bit. I actually have mo- more concern uh, with, with Cam than I do with Andrew Luck. And, and the reason is, you know, Cam's footwork uh, to me has, has been really his was why he failed so much last year. I went back, watched a lot of tape. Uh, his timing was off. He'd take an extra hitch. Uh, his feet would be pointed uh, in, in a completely different direction than where his arm was going. 
uh, his footwork was really an issue last year. And, and I said that off-season work is where you get that timing, where you can really work on the footwork. Uh, you can't really do that a ton during the season, during all those practices. you got bigger fish to fry. That off-season work is vital, and I think it was vital for Cam Newton. And it's really a shame that he missed most of that this off-season. Sage, let's wrap it up with a hard-hitting question. You mentioned Kevin Gilbride. Did he ever use the word catawampus in your meeting room? <laughs> uh, shoot, probably. I, 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 if he did, I assume I was awake for it. Uh, but, uh, you know, I tell you, that guy, one of the smartest coaches I've ever been around, he's got a million things going on in his mind at the, at the same time. And, and I think, you know, people don't realize, you know, he won a couple of Super Bowls as, as that offensive coordinator. And all the Eli Manning success that he had all those years, a lot of that had to do with Kevin Gilbert. His offense was very different than anything else they've ever been around. Uh, uh, you know, challenging for a young guy to, to, to learn, uh, for a guy, or a guy new to the system to learn. But, man, that guy has a brilliant mind, and he understands football uh, as good as anybody that I was around when I was in the NFL. Well, the only reason he knows, Sage, is because I had him in Pittsburgh, and you know that. And Catawampus <laughs> has always been one of the words he chooses to use for whatever reason, dulcet tones, things of that nature. He always hits you with big words because – this offense, you know how complex it was. It was, it was like you said, the running shoe style offense. He was, he was a like a mad scientist. You would watch him watching film, and you know this. He would write everything down in his notebook, and you know you call it X read on the backside, and it's a skinny or out route or a go route, and you have to catch it on the fly, and it's like it's unbelievable. I'm like, yeah, catawampus is the word uh, for whatever reason <laughs> it means. But Kevin Gilbride was one of the most complex when uh, you think of coaches that that really pushed his quarterback to the limit. Uh, but most importantly, got the best out of him. Because if you can master that system, especially how it was in Houston with Warren Moon, uh, you could have arguably been one of the better quarterbacks in the National Football League. Yeah, you got to be smart. You got to have a big arm. You got to make some big time throws. Uh, and you got to love to compete. You know, Kevin Gorby loves quarterbacks who can compete. So, you know, I, I played for a lot of great coordinators, a lot of great coaches. As you know, so many great sort of one-liners or cliches. I mean, my rookie year, Jimmy Ray was our offensive coordinator in Washington. And as a rookie quarterback, I was in charge of, uh, on the back of my notebook, keeping a list of Jimmyisms uh, that he used to say <laughs> because they were so hilarious. You know, be a, be a bowling ball of butcher knives uh, mm. for, for Stephen Davis at tailback. I mean, he just had one-liner after one-liner all day long. Uh, and, uh, and, and from my old line coach, John Benton Houston, would give me great consternation uh, when, when they would call <laughs> the more complex plays. Sage, we really appreciate the insights. Thanks so much for giving us a few minutes today on the NFL on TuneIn. All right, guys. Thanks for having me on. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Immerse yourself in the world of Heard Well Radio, the only 24-7 streaming radio station that's powered by social influencers and their communities. Come for the best new music curated by the most influential voices of today and stay for Heard Well Live, our live specialty program that airs at 3 p.m. Pacific every weekday, hosted by Josh Fisher. Plus, listen in for special contests, live events, and playlists curated for every moment of your day. From us to you, this is Heard Well Radio. Listen for free on TuneIn. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now let's go round the league with Elliot Harrison of NFL Network. Elliot, thanks for taking the time. Jay Cutler joked yesterday he doesn't have to be in great shape because he's a quarterback. How smooth do you think the transition is going to be considering Cutler played well for Adam Gase in Chicago before he became the head coach of the Dolphins? Yeah, you know, I, I see the 
you know, it's the, it's the easy thing to point to, and I think everyone's right to point to that. You know, familiarity in the NFL is such a big deal, but at the same time, so is continuity. And Jay Cutler, while he has a familiarity with Adam Gase, he doesn't have continuity with any of these guys on offense. I mean, he may know what, you know, he can call the play in the huddle with confidence because he knows where everyone needs to be, but he doesn't really know where they're going to be because receivers we know can get creative with their routes and you, you just have to work with these guys. And the other thing I would say is Jay Cutler's a good quarterback, but we need to be a little careful. I mean, this is a guy coming off an injury who got outplayed by Brian Hoyer last year. And so, you know, you can carve that up any way that you'd like, but, you know, Matt Moore actually played pretty good for this Dolphins team and getting them, you know, down the stretch into the playoff. Can you really say that Jay Cutler outplayed Matt Moore? Yeah, I mean, that, that's that's a great question to ask, and I don't think from afar it looks as if the organization really has, uh, let's just say, confidence in, in Ryan Tannehill even, and I think that's probably why this deal was made with Jay Cutler and gave him so much money. But with saying that, how do you how do you gauge this move grabbing someone like a, a Jay Cutler who's been out, let's just say, pretty much of all last season? Uh, he was prepared to move on to go into the booth, and then all of a sudden he gets a one-year, $10 million deal. This team is primed and ready to make a move. Do you think this piece at the quarterback position with Jake Cutler is the one that can get them over the hump to the next level? Because they're really close to being really, really good. He's been known to not make any, let's just say, extra efforts over time when he was in Chicago to try to give you that 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 mm of a play that we've seen even Ryan Tannehill give at times by giving the extra effort. Well, that was a really creative way of putting it, Cordell. <laughs> uh, I try. I know what you're saying. Uh, you know, the reputation precedes him. Uh, you know, what is getting over the hump anymore? Here's the, here's the crazy thing. The Dolphins could be worse than they were last year. Sneak into the playoffs, Cutler plays hot for one game, and they advance farther than they did last year. Then everyone will say, look, he got him over the hump. Well, not really. You know, he just played great for one game. Um, you know, that's the way the playoffs work. You know, it, 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 that's why a lot of teams, the, the, a lot of times the hottest team wins. And so with Jay Cutler, you hope that he's going to get hot at the right time. But, you know, at the same time, the deal with the Dolphins is just that there's so many other parts to this team. I mean, number one, Jay Ajayi had peaks and valleys last year. I mean, I think that guy's got to come back, be consistent, and show us what he did against Pittsburgh and against Buffalo and then the defense. You know they signed Indominus Sue a couple of years ago. That defense hasn't been quite as dominant as they had hoped. If you have a top-five defense and you have a good running game, Jay Cutler may not have to do that much to get him over the hump. Elliot Harrison, NFL Network, is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. You can see him tonight, NFL Total Access, 7 Eastern. Elliot Patriots, reigning champs, and they have been active in the offseason, adding quality players like Brandon Cooks. How much separation do you see between the Patriots and everybody else? Not that much. Not that much. I mean, the Patriots won the Super Bowl, but we all know what happened. A little bit of different play calling or a, a running back chipping on a blitz, and the Falcons are your Super Bowl champions. And then you say, okay, well, what kind of separation do the Falcons have? I think Tampa Bay is going to be pushing them in the NFC South. So, I think the Patriots are still the best team. You know, what's interesting. We always look at, like, okay, what draft pick did the team add? Or what free agent did they get? And Brandon Cooks, obviously, is the guy that the, the Patriots were able to add in the offseason. 
But to me, it's also about uh, the offseason, you know, is what frontline starters did you get back healthy? And we have to remind ourselves that New England won the Super Bowl without Rob Gronkowski playing. Uh, and that, to me, is really the key. If they can get – it seems like they never get 16 games from the guy, but if they get 13, 14 games from the guy, rest him, and he's healthy for the playoffs, then I do think you're, they're your favorite to win the Super Bowl again. How good is the Pittsburgh Steelers with when Le'Veon Bell comes back and having also Martavis Bryant in the mix? Well, you know, I'm excited to see Brian. I think he, he, you know, somebody has to keep their eyeballs on him, right, at the safety position when he's on the field, which opens things up for everybody else. I mean, I think when he's right and he's not suspended, Le'Veon Bell's the best back in football with apologies to David Johnson and and Ezekiel Elliott. And, uh, you know, he's putting moves out there like the one I saw you put on Carl Banks in 1995 on Monday Night Football. Thank (laughs) you. Thank you for uh, remembering. Appreciate you. Yeah, of course. That just proves you're old, Elliot. But we love the contemporary <laughs> reference. True, and I don't, you know, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to pump Cordell up too much because Carl Banks is already like 35 at that point. So you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. paradise. But uh, no, I, I, I really think that Le'Veon Bell. I, you could make the case, arguably, arguably, that the two best offensive players in football play for the same team. Truly, uh, you know, the, Pittsburgh doesn't have the offensive line Dallas does. They have a good one. But I, look, if they're all right, I don't think they would have won the championship game last year if Bell had been held, you know, on the field. But I, I do think with Bryant back, they are going to be a team to deal with. I mean, it's between them, the Patriots, and the Raiders right now in the AFC. Taking you around the league with Elliot Harrison of NFL Network. Elliot, you're based in Southern California. Let's put stadium talk aside and the novelty of the Chargers playing at the tiny StubHub Center. Which team do you think is going to be more interesting on the field, the Rams or the Chargers? I think the Chargers, I do. Gosh, I wish they'd quit getting hurt. I mean, guys, they had 21 guys. 21 guys finished the season on IR last year. You only have a 53-man roster, you know, and then, you know, they've already been missing their top pick. Their second-round pick got hurt, and I I just – I wish they would be healthy, but they're they're still way, way, way better at the quarterback position uh, than the Rams are. And I I thought they lost a lot of really close games. By the end of the year last year, the Rams were getting blown out. Um, And to me, uh, if Keenan Allen comes back healthy, uh, I mean, he's healthy right now, but if he stays healthy, I think he can lead the NFL in catches. I mean, he uh, he was already at the top of the charts through eight games when he got hurt two years ago. Of course, it's a big if for him to stay healthy. This Chargers team is led by Coach Anthony Lynn, his first run at being a head coach. Um, how much pressure on him uh, do you think he has to get this team to play really well, considering that you have Antonio Gates in the latter part of his career, uh, you have Phillip Rivers in the latter part of his career, and, and, and this team is making his moves to get ready to go to Inglewood in the next few years. How important it is for him to get started off on the right foot in a stadium where he only has up to 20,000, 30,000 fans that's going to be there. So it won't hurt him too bad in the sense of they should have this thing rocking and rolling every single week they're in. Well, you know, and I think you just answered part of your own question right there a little bit in that, you know, playing in that stadium, it's not going to look like, uh, you know, I remember the days when the Raiders were in L.A. and they weren't playing well and either the Coliseum looked half empty. That's not going to be a situation for this team. And the other thing is, you know, there should be a grace period for rookie head coaches. And I think especially for Anthony Lynn, given that the Chargers 
moved their operation, have already had their top picks go down to injury. I, I don't think he should feel as much pressure. Now, okay, Gates, yes, it's going to be the end of the line. It would be nice to win for him. But from a roster standpoint, Hunter Henry is one of the better young tight ends in the league. At least it looks like it. And for Phillip Rivers, I think mean, I think Phillip's going to play a couple of more years. I mean, they're, they're on the right track. I mean, clearly they knocked it out of the park with the Joey Bosa pick. Melvin Gordon uh, really showed something after a disappointing rookie year. So I think there should be a grace period. I think the Chargers are going to be fine. They just have to stay healthy. If they can be healthy, I don't see any reason why the L.A. Chargers can at least finish 500, if not have a winning season. Ellie, we appreciate the information. Thanks so much for giving us a few minutes today here on the NFL on TuneIn. Yeah, and sorry for the 1995. No, no, no problem. Cordell needs more of an ego boost. He doesn't talk about himself enough on the show. Don't don't worry about Brian. He never played football, so he could never get that type of love. There you go. Oh, man. Beautiful. I never played the game. Ellie, have a great show tonight on on NFL Total Access. (laughs) Thanks so much. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Stay up to date on the latest news as it happens on TuneIn. From American politics to global events, get live 24-7 coverage with some of the top news media outlets in the world, including CNN, MSNBC, and Fox News Radio. And when breaking news hits, TuneIn keeps you updated with up-to-the-minute reports and analysis on the biggest stories of the day. Thank you for joining us with this breaking news report. Really appreciate it. Day or night, get live news coverage from around the world on TuneIn. There's hits, and then there's all-time rock classics from the 60s and 70s. With classic rock hits on TuneIn, relive the very best sounds that defined an entire generation. Listen to the greatest rock songs in history with classic rock hits on TuneIn. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. We continue on NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now let's spotlight the Houston Texans with Aaron Wilson of the Houston Chronicle. Aaron, thanks so much for taking the time. Let's start with Houston's quarterback situation since the team traded up to get Deshaun Watson in the first round. How long do you think it's going to take him to become the starter? Several players like DeAndre Hopkins have already been publicly backing Tom Savage. Right. Yeah. I mean, I believe that Tom will stay the starter as long as he's healthy and that they're winning games. I think that if they start to falter or he has an injury, which he's had every year that he's played, then they would make the change. Sean Watson has supplanted Brandon Whedon as the backup. He's made great progress and he's a very precocious rookie. This is someone that started in the ninth grade, was very successful. And a sixth snap of his college career at Clemson was a touchdown pass at Georgia. So this is really uncommonly poised, mature young man. I think he's going to be ready sooner rather than later. To put a timetable and say, well, I know it's week three or week four, you know, I would have to be a fortune teller and I'm not. But I, I feel like, you know, with Tom's injury history, that's probably the quickest path for Deshaun Watson to get on the field, a la Dak Prescott last year. What is it going to – when you look at Deshaun Watson – uh, you can say, of course, he has quick feet. Uh, you can say he has a strong arm. Um, when you watch him, is he ready uh, to be able to step into the National Football League and be actual starting quarterback, if need be, sooner than later? I believe he is, Cordell. I think that he is someone that puts in the time. He's always there. He works on weekends. He's 
over the summer, he's putting in all that time to learn the playbook. He's a very hard worker. We talked to his people from his background, like Dabble Sweeney, his college coach or his high school coach, Robert Miller. You really get a sense for what the work ethic is like. And he's been everything as advertised. Um, in terms of progressions, though, Tom Savage is more advanced. And Tom will get to see A, B, C, and Whereas with Deshaun, you know, that's something that's still a work in progress in terms of his reads. But, you know, I think that he is careful with the football, makes good decisions, and if it's not there, he'll throw it away or he'll take off and run. I think that he's a very advanced rookie, and he, I would feel like he would go in there and be successful, but I've thought that about some other rookies in the past, and then, you know, they weren't ready. With him, I just feel like he's a lot different from some of the other rookie quarterbacks you know, that I've been around, whether it was a Kyle Bowler or some other players. Uh, this is a young man that's just uncommonly mature. So I was asking about Lamar Miller, career high in carries last year. What do you think the workload looks like this year? I think they'll reduce the workload and be more judicious with his touches. That's a goal of theirs. What they did last year, they used him like a workhorse, and he wore down toward the end of the season – they didn't really have a great change of pace. They had Akeem Hunt, they had Alfred Blue. Now they have Deontay Foreman, and he's an impressive young rookie. I think that that gives them a physical presence and some size in the backfield that they didn't have before. So I expect them to do things to try to keep Lamar fresh, but he'll get a lot of work. You know, They're going to still use him quite a bit, but I think his touches just went way beyond what he did in Miami. And... Ultimately, a lot of nagging injuries cropped up. So they're going to learn from that. Nothing serious happened to him, but it affected him and his availability at the end of last season. So now with Lamar Miller back, they're a much more formidable offense, much more complete with him working in tandem with other playmakers they have, like DeAndre Hopkins. Would you say they're, they're forcing their hand uh, to try to make the quarterbacks uh, be the ones to win the games because – the game should dictate the direction you're going. And, and, and for me, when looking at these two quarterbacks, we don't know for sure how, how precise or efficient they'll be as quarterbacks because if you rely on the running game, and I'm not saying 100% to where he becomes uh, a little overworked, uh, but more to the point where you know the running game is something that we know is, is, it can travel anywhere in the world, literally. Uh, North Pole, South Pole, it, it, can be, it can go anywhere at any moment in time during the year. So are, are you saying that they're going to rely more on the quarterbacks to play the game and win than they are the running game and get the offensive line involved? Knowing Bill O'Brien and his style, and especially with what he's learned in the first couple of years here, and the fact that he's now the offensive coordinator and he's running this offense personally, I expect them to run the ball quite a bit, and I think that he will, you know, until the quarterbacks show that they can win games for him, there will be some game manager type of situations. The biggest thing he preaches is protect the ball. And that's not to say they won't take some shots down the field with DeAndre Hopkins and working the ball to their tight ends and, you know, trying to get Braxton Miller and Jalen Strong to step up with Will Fuller now out for a couple months with a broken collarbone. But yeah, I think, that's going to change things with the injury that they just suffered to their second best receiver and the fact that they have a 
offensive line that really is more suited for run blocking. Um, I don't feel like they're great pass protectors at all. Chatting with Aaron Wilson of the Houston Chronicle. Aaron, Houston has played very well, obviously, within divisional action, winning that division the last couple of years. But there's been some speculation about Bill O'Brien and his future. What can you tell us about his relationship with uh, with GM Rick Smith? I think that it's blown a little out of proportion. I think they get along. They reach consensus. They have a respect for each other. They are, you know, two people that, you know, didn't really know each other that well at all until they started working together. And so the, over the past couple of years, they've collaborated pretty well. They've won a couple of division titles. You know, would Bill probably ideally like a New England type situation? Yes, but I think he also understands that, you know, Bill Belichick and his knowledge of personnel, the salary cap, and some of the things that, you know, nuances that he's very well versed in and having Nick Casario, you know, working with him as his lieutenant, it's just a different situation, a different level of experience. But, yeah, I think there's a mutual respect. I think some of the stories that you might hear are a little outdated in terms of their collaboration. I think right now they're working very well together. When you watch the Tennessee Titans uh, trend in a direction that says that they're going to compete to win this division, I mean, they won the last game last year against Jacksonville. Uh, they win the division. Uh do you see this Houston team trending in the same direction or even better uh, to be able to, to compete with what the Tennessee Titans are actually doing? Great running game, offensive line plays solid, defense is evolving. Uh, you see a quarterback that's, that, that's probably, if not the best, one of the best, I would say, in that division uh, based on where he's going in this Mike Malarkey system. Uh, do you see the, the, the Houston Texans being ahead of uh, the Tennessee Titans or you see it vice versa? Only slightly ahead of, yeah, I think it's starting to become neck and neck. And you look at what was wrong with the Titans, and that was their pass defense. So if Logan Ryan and Jonathan Cyprian stabilized that area to go with what I consider to be a very good front seven led by Brian Arakpo and Jarrell Casey, all of a sudden I think the story changes a little bit. Um, when you look at Tennessee, if Corey Davis gets healthy and does everything they expect of him, they continue what they're doing with that running game. The offensive line is excellent. I think Marcus Mariota is one of the better young quarterbacks in this game. It could be a different situation. It could change. The ace of the hole for the Texans is their defense, which was top-ranked last year, and now they get J.J. Watt working in tandem with Jadavian Clowney, both healthy at the same time, and that holds up, which it never has before, with both players being healthy at the same time, mostly Clowney being hurt in the past until last year when J.J. had the back surgeries, I think all of a sudden you've got this wrecking crew defense and maybe it takes a lot of pressure off these quarterbacks and you may not see any change in status quo in this division if the defense lives up to what they hope for, which is to be a special defense, not just a great one. Aaron, great information as always. Thanks so much for giving us a few minutes again today on the NFL on TuneIn. Thank you guys for having me. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. Baseball fans, MLB at the Plate has the second half of the season covered like nobody else. With a push toward the postseason, now upon us, listen live as a co-host and myself bring you the biggest moments of the night as they happen with live listen-ins from around Major League Baseball. Right, driving one in the air, deep left field, it's got a chance! 
Plus, between pitches, we'll go beyond the diamond with interviews, guest appearances, and analysis on the biggest news in baseball. Catch MLB at the plate live weeknights from 7 to midnight Eastern, only on TuneIn. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. We roll on on NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Cordell Vince Wilfork announced his retirement in a very creative way. Let's discuss as we take you out of bounds. On the gridiron, there are clear lines to follow. But from time to time, there's a story that takes us out of bounds. Crazy, deranged situation. It's no huddle on the NFL on TuneIn. Partner, take us back to the conclusion of your career. It ended in Baltimore. Did you ponder a comeback along the way? And when did you officially retire? I officially retired officially. Well, my last year was 05 with the Baltimore Ravens. I, I, I wanted to keep playing. I wanted to have a chance to. And and then once I, I got into playing golf and, and got my handicap down really, really low, I just kind of like, you know what? It's not worth it. I mean, I put in the work in the league and, and teams have moved on. And so I had to move on myself. And so in doing that, um, I literally forgot about retiring, officially retiring. Like, rather be doing the paperwork or talking about it. So... I end up officially retiring, <laughs> not as if I was trying to come back to the league, in 2011 in Pittsburgh. And uh, I end up, you know, getting it done then. And, and, and lo and behold, once that happened, it was – I was already done, but I just wanted to go through the formalities uh, of actually getting it done. And I did. And went back to Pittsburgh and had a little press conference, and that was it. Finality. And it was fitting mm-hmm. that you wrapped up where you started your career. Well, Vince Wilfork, a very different way of saying goodbye to football in a video. Hey! No more cleats. I'm moving on to smoke meats, fellas. Peace out. I'm out of here. Later. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> Thought it was over, huh? Nah, I'll be back, but not on that field. <laughs> Peace out. So if you haven't seen the video, that was a commercial for Kingsford Charcoal. So he got paid along the way, and there's the money line, my man. No more cleats. I'm moving on to smoke meats. Smoke meats. Hey, put that thing on the grill. Chop it up. I mean, but that's what I think he was a part of at one time. Correct me if I'm wrong. I saw it. I think he was on ESPN, and I didn't know for sure if he had his – his own meats, his own sauce, or what have you. But I saw that in the past, and I saw him speaking about that. And uh, now that he's done, if that's what it's about, baby, hey, let's make it work. Because uh, got a couple buddies in the building where I live that that's that's all into barbecuing and and coming up with a great sauce and you know boiling the the ribs in the water and letting the thing marinate just a little bit and come back and drop some uh, sauce on top of it and create it. Hey, if that if that's the angle that he's going once he retires, I mean that that's that's the way to go. My retirement was just going to play some golf. Just being, <laughs> I wasn't trying to get creative with foods. I mean, there's too much competition out there with foods. But to play recreational golf, that's just a lot of fun. You know, you get a chance to chase this little white ball to try to put this thing in this little bitty hole, you know, uh on the greens, uh and and, and hopefully play with maybe that one ball for at least what, maybe three to six holes before it's time to change, you know, that's, you know, like, Cordell, you mean to change, you got to change balls? You know, and the ball is still good? Well, 
you know, it get the cart path, you know, it get a rock or two, get chips in it. So you just you just go through the process of trying to keep things fresh. But I like to have those problems. But trying to do ribs, you know, and barbecue ribs. I mean, it's fun. Don't get me wrong. But now I have to stand in the heat again. Think about that. You're back in the heat. You're on a grill. But I tell you what, he'll be able to grill as much as he wants to. You won't have no problems. You won't have to worry about waking up for anything. You have to report to camp. Are you a griller? Do you grill on your balcony, Brian? What do you think? I don't know. I told you, I, I, just I don't have, have any gas in my apartment. No, I'm, I'm a gas you don't bag. Need gas, but you, you got to use gas. You can't use charcoal. I got, you can't use a- I got a microwave. I just talk about football and I eat, breathe, nothing. and think. Tune in. That's my is that, life. Is that, what, is that what you want everyone I'm gonna, to believe? That's the truth, my man. I'm going to defer to Vince <laughs> when it comes to meat. He's a big fellow, well over 300 pounds. Is he a Hall of Famer? And I know it's tough because, wow. because think about it. You're going to look at the stats. They're not going to blow you away. He played nose tackle in a 3-4, so you don't get the same kind of gaudy numbers, say, as sacks coming off the edge. But two things jump out to me. The teams he played for, he has two rings based on his run with New England. Secondly, longevity. He played 13 years. Yeah, and a big man, real, real big man. Last time I saw a man of his statue was Ted Washington. Maybe Ted Washington was bigger, who played with the Buffalo Bills and also the Oakland Raiders. Uh, Tony Saragusa, Sam Adams, players like that that played in the trenches. I don't know if they got 13 years in. But 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 when you look at a player uh, like Vince, his numbers may come through assists of being able to free players up like the Teddy Bruskies of the world to scrape off of, 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 of the direction, opposite direction of where he's going. So if he's going left, he's pulling two guys, it frees Teddy Bruski up to make a play in the trenches. So that, from a scheme standpoint, offensively, you know, he's a force to be reckoned with because it's going to take two guys to move him or at least to, you know, keep him contained, which now frees up someone else. I think strategically, those or- the organization of – of the New England Patriots did it really well, which which using what you had to, to create what you wanted and guys bought into it. And I think that's why they've had so much success in Houston. Now, here's the question with Houston, him not being on the defensive line. What are their chances when it comes down to getting back to the, to the postseason and winning that division? Because he was a big part of that success. Romeo Cornell being the, off, the defensive coordinator um, who was with him in New England is a defensive coordinator there in Houston. What body uh, is the team, will the team actually put in uh, the position that Vince was in? And I think that's going to be the big question. I think so now the work of Jadavion Clowney and J.J. Watt will really be uh, have to be at its, at its premium because they're not going to have the luxury of having such a big player. And also a guy who's been around for some time to probably where, you know, he kept guys in check. Remember, Mike Vrabel's there too as well. Mike Vrabel also played with uh, Vince when he was in New England. So you have a touch of New England there, and, 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 and to be able to have guys who understand the New England way and bring that, that energy to the forefront there in Houston, you have to assume that that's a big part of why this defense truly was number one. Uh, I think because of the ways that they actually went about their business way back in, in, in New England, but also now that they're together in the Houston, with Houston. But the question is, who's going to fill in? for Vince when it comes down to him not being there anymore, actually being at home on the grill. As you mentioned, Houston number one in total defense, even without J.J. Watt. I think if we're summing up the career, the rings plus 13 years for a very big individual, Vince Wilfork on his way 
the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio. Thank you for listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast on iTunes with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern by downloading the TuneIn app and searching NFL No Huddle. The National Football League is on. Tune in your everything audio app.